Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Polis, and I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And we are talking about all the new comics on sale August 7, 2019, as well as all of our digital comics releasing on the Marvel Comics app, the collections, stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. That's what this show is. But first up, Tucker, I got a new tattoo. I know. Tell me about it. It's a little baby Mothra. She's so cute. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It looks great. Thanks. How many hours is that? Uh, like three and change. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not that's so bad. like shocking because that, that looks great. There's like a ton of detail and great color. Yeah. Yeah. That's looks, awesome. I think you should get a Christopher McQuarrie tattoo <laughs> like on your neck. Make you. Oh, man. We got to. If, if that guy ever does press in New York or something, we just got to. I got to get in the room. Yeah. That's, that, that's what we got to do. Like, put me in a straight jacket first and then send me. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, all right. Great. You know what? Speaking of straight jackets, we yeah. should talk about our comics, the first of which has characters in uh, an asylum. Yeah. There you and go. Uh, that is Absolute Carnage, number one. My first pick of the week. It is written by Donnie Cates. It is penciled by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Meyer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, it, like, what we know about this creative team, what we know going into this huge event, there's no way this wasn't going to be just a huge smash and, like, we were, like, you know, it's built to be just adored by Marvel fans new and old. It's awesome. Um, and it is huge. This issue is massive. It's divided into multiple chapters, each of which I think could be a full comic. Yeah. Like, I think there's three, ch- two or three chapters in here. And they could each be, you know, a single issue of a comic. Well, that, that's what struck me about, like, the first time I was in a room hearing about what was happening. Someone, uh, editor Devin Lewis, actually broke down the story for us and was talking for, like, 20 minutes about what happens. And then he kind of stopped at one point and was just like, okay, and that's issue one. And everyone in the room was like, what? Yeah, I thought you were describing the entire event. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people have been talking about this one like – this is going to outsell X-Men number one and like all these things. There's just been this really great campaign from Ryan and Donnie and the whole crew. It's really, really fun. But like there is so much in this comic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it is so worth the the price of entry. I'm glad you mentioned Devin because Devin as editor along with Danny Kazem, mm-hmm. uh, like the two of them as the editorial voices for this and spearheading it. I mean, there's been a lot of people working on it, Nick Lowe and other people, CB Sobolski, everybody mm-hmm. downstairs. But, like, this is Devin flexing. Yeah. And, like, working with his team to show that this book is everything that they've been building towards and so much more. Yeah. Uh, I got to give major shout out to Ryan Stegman in here because um, he's just next level. Like, this is it's crazy. Ryan, like, sitting down, focusing, pushing that McFarlane influence a lot, but then going further and darker, but yet poppier at mm. the same time you know it's there's a definite darkness to this issue both in the coloring and the content but there's also like just an explosive superhero-ness yeah. to it all which is so wonderful if you've not been reading venom don't worry you get the whole setup for the book the concept what the storyline is in the first few pages it's that there is a god of the symbiotes null he's been uh sort of caged by his symbiotes by the the symbiotes for you know millions of years and carnage has been resurrected uh cletus cassidy has been resurrected with the carnage symbiote uh with this knowledge and he wants to resurrect bring back to you know life the uh this 
Null. Mm. I mean, uh, Null's not dead. He's sort of caged. He wants to wake yeah. him up and bring him to Earth because that would just be the ultimate expression of carnage, right? Yeah. And so he is figuring out that there are these little bits and pieces of symbiotes in people attached to their DNA whenever they've had connection to a symbiote. So there's so many people with symbiotes over the history of the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe. Now you have so many potential people who are supplying these. And so Carnage has been getting them and building up. And so you get this very scary version of Carnage who is getting stronger and stronger as he finds more of these pieces. You know, I was thinking about this. We just finished War of the Realms. Uh, and if that is our big superhero epic fantasy masterpiece, mm-hmm. and it is, then this is our big horror with a little bit of superhero epic masterpiece. Yeah. It's, you know, similar in that massive scope, but so very different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it's so much fun. It's violent and gory. It's got all these disturbing images. There's one I was I kept thinking back to this page of Venom electrocuting himself uh, while he's grappling with Carnage. Mm. And in order to get away, he grabs, you know, this thing and he like electrifies both of them and it really stuns Carnage and allows Venom to get away, but it's such a explosive page and then you look afterwards and carnage is like laying on the ground sort of giggling to himself but like a puddle of goo and viscera and like reforming nightmare it is so cool cannot suggest this highly enough totally uh awesome stuff okay we got to my first book of the week. It is Arrow number two, which has two stories in it. The first is called Foreshadowing. That's written by Joe Lifen, uh, with art by Kang and the adaptation written by Mr. Greg Pak. Uh, the second uh, story in here is part two of an Arrow and Wave story. This one's called Origins and Destinies. It's written by Greg Pak with art by Pop Mon and colors by Federico Bleen. Letters uh, throughout the whole thing by VCs Joe Caramagna. I was a huge fan of the first Arrow story because it has such an amazing scale to it and you can really feel that. And there's so much movement. There's great kaiju kind of action. You really get a sense of Arrow's powers, which is so fun. And it's especially fun to read this book this week because uh, what we'll talk about in about 20 seconds is uh, Agents of Alice number one, which, uh, you know, obviously Arrow and Wave are both members of that team. I want to take a uh, specific second to say like, you know, just awesome job, Greg Pak, because I think it's a, it can be a really tricky job to take uh, an existing story like this, which comes from, uh, you know, Marvel Publishing in China and in Asia, and then, you know, take it and translate it and mold it and make it feel as natural and, and totally fitting as it does here. So, of course, it's, you know, a huge testament to master to- storyteller Greg Pak. Uh, and then the uh, Arrow and Wave story is also awesome. Another, like, super kinetic, super fun, great character designs in this one as we start to flesh out this kind of corner of the Marvel Universe that these characters occupy, not just literally and geographically, but in terms of who they are as people, in terms of how they relate to each other, in terms of how they deal with problems. It's really, really interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, this is, you know, for me, one of the most exciting corners of the MU is, is you know, everything that's going on in Arrow and Swordmaster and Wave and Ages of Atlas. Yeah, and this is another great issue, and it leads, you know, and it, you know, pairs perfectly with what you're going to talk about right now. Which is Agents of Atlas number one, which was nearly one of my picks. Yeah. Uh, we've got two stories 
in this issue. The first one is called The Portal City of Pan, Part 1. It's written by Greg Pak, drawn by Nico Leone, colored by Federico Blee, with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And, you know, that one, it's cool. It's We've, like, setting up the Agents of Atlas, this crew of Pan-Asian heroes or uh, heroes of Asian descent, and they are working for Jimmy Woo and the Atlas Foundation. So you've you've got that sort of setup, but Amadeus Cho is in charge of this particular squad, more or less. So this picks up after the events of the War of the Realm series, but also shows the team how they've been moving in different directions and they've been going in different places after that battle. So this brings them back together. Lots of fun dynamics, great dialogue, awesome designs, plus dragons. Yeah, that was a cool. good dragon. Yeah. The second story in here is uh, called Behind the Veil. It's written by Jeff Parker, penciled by Carlo Pagulayan, inked by Jason Paz, colored by Dono Sanchez Almara. And it is really, really cool because Jeff Parker was instrumental in creating the Agents of Atlas Mm. more than a decade ago. And so it was really cool to have him here. Not only that, he is focusing on that original Agents of Atlas team, which is a really neat team that has... Uh, Gorilla Man and uh, Venus and 3D Man. And, you know, it's a what if story of what if the Avengers had fought evil during the 1950s and bringing this group of characters together. That really fun idea. And so I love all this connectivity here. Mm-hmm. They're still part of, you know, the Atlas hierarchy, but they're just a different crew doing other stuff for Jimmy uh, as he's sort of looking over everything. Tremendous debut issue. Totally. Uh, Okay, next up is Black Cat number three, uh, which is written by Jed McKay with art by Travel Foreman, flashback art by Michael Dowling, uh, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Ferran Delgado. Um, Guess who shows up on page one of this old number? It's Bats. It's Bats, the nice ghost basset hound. Um, It's been so fun to see Bats emerge first in Dunnicate's Doctor Strange run, and now I feel like there's been four or five different series where Bats has popped up, which is a testament to how much people love that little dude, but also like the very specific voice that the the character has, which um, is so awesome. I feel like it fits in really well with a bunch of different like tones and, and heroes and, and series because it's just like this kind of perfect character to bounce off of. I feel like Bats to me is a cranky old man yeah. drinking coffee at a yeah. diner yeah. in New York City. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like commenting at random people yeah. coming in. Unfiltered, that. says yeah. what he wants. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, this, this issue, uh, you know, has... That art pairing is really, really powerful and really awesome. Uh, And, you know, again, kudos to the editorial team uh, on this book. But, you know, because there's great stuff in that flashback. But also, once we get into some of the action uh, of this story, it is just like travel foreman, you know, fun fare. It's just an, an exhibition of how awesome travel foreman is, how, like, so cool it's kind of like it's so visceral and some of the 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 fight scenes they feel kind of pulpy in a way which is really really fun and uh you know it feels like it draws influences from like you know not just older comics but kind of you know other like media like you know almost feels like um older kind of kung fu movies or like kind of like that just anything in that kind of pulp genre um because there's some like great like noir poses and like expressionist like like facial expressions and like catching these like great keyframes of like of these different characters and looking at a, a specific panel where black hat is punching someone like directly in the face and there's this great sound effect there's like a great caption 
in as the as like she like says something right as she does it and you just see the impact of her fist into this face what i also like is the next panel uh, there's like a an effect about how like i think she's either shaking her hand or um, yeah yeah yeah. there's little stars around her hand (laughs) showing that that was that freaking hurt yeah, yeah. i love it's a little subtle exactly. thing but it was so clever exactly that's exactly the the spirit of what i'm talking about where it's just like this thing of it's a it's a tonal thing that kind of emerges of like it because that's what makes it pulpy you know what i mean because it has like it it plays into the drama it plays into the melodrama but it also is um you know it it, it like has those little nods that make it fun and, and keep it bouncing all the way through it's great stuff black cat great series Yes. Uh, up next is Champions, number eight, written by Jim Zub, art by Stephen Cummings, colors by Marcio Menez, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Sam Alexander fans, take note, mm-hmm. your boy Nova. This is a big one for him. It's a culmination of his like big story. It's a culmination in a big part of his story that we've seen over the last you know year and change, um, but really does a great job of showing what he's been through, how much he's grown, and how he's coming out of all of this trauma and disappointment, sadness, adventure, all of these pieces, how he's come out a stronger person, stronger hero, and he's growing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really, really fun. That's a really great part of this book. But at the same time, there's wild stuff happening with Viv and Ironheart and leaves a big cliffhanger. Yeah, totally. Okay, moving from Champions now to Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History. Number six, this is written by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti with art by Todd Nock, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This has been a really fun series that I've enjoyed the heck out of it. It's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of exactly what you want from Cosmic Ghost Rider. But it's also really interesting because I feel like this writing team and then how Todd renders it has such a command of the moments when to like really lean into the drama and to really feel those things in a heartfelt, sincere way. And then another sense of like when to undercut that and when to insert the kind of, uh, you know, the the classic Cosmic Ghost Rider that we first got to know in Thanos, you know, I don't know, two years ago or something. Because, you know, there is so much to balance here. There's also, as I was reading this, I was like, I feel like the entire Marvel Universe is in this issue. There are so many characters. There's so much going on. We got a little... Doctor, oh yeah, Bong, uh, shows up for a quick sec. So the why there's so many characters that yeah. show up, it's interesting because all these Cosmic Ghost Rider stories that in this series have sort of filtered into important historical events. This ties into the formation of the New Avengers in 2004 mm-hmm. with the breakout of the Raft, that whole storyline, and then with the Illuminati that storyline that you know sort of permeated through Brian Michael Bendis's work in the mid 2000s but what's have you ever read that new avengers run uh, i've read a few, right at the start i read right. like maybe on the first five or something there's some great bits and pieces but what they do is remove the sentry mm-hmm. from that storyline and put cosmic ghost rider in there right. i found that to be a really interesting maneuver mm-hmm. because they like they it actually worked really really well, yeah. uh, and then they they go running with it. From there. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you know it's a testament to the 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 writing on here because 
um, you know, in order to like destroy Marvel history, you have to have a pretty solid command of, of exactly those things. Um, but yeah, really, really love this series and, and, and been, been a big fan uh, across the board, both of the writing and of the art. A uh, book I'm really high on right now, uh, Daredevil, issue number nine out this week. Nearly one of my picks yeah. of the week and my favorite issue of the run so far, I think. There's this, not a lot of action. It's really character stuff. Yeah, this is like such a low-key, incredible series yeah. because it's like it's so not – like it delivers everything you want from a, a Daredevil story or a superhero story. But I feel like it's so subtle. It's just doing so much work under the surface. Um, it's just really incredible stuff. Like, just great restraint, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, restraint is a good uh, word for it. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Lalit Kumar Sharma, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Hava Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, the first three pages of this issue are just a conversation between Matt Murdock and Reed Richards as they're playing chess and talking about the existence of God. So awesome. And it is riveting stuff those three pages i was like this is really strong work yeah. the you know across the board in this issue the drama the dialogue those conversations the situations everything just brings you in and like makes you want to stay on the page but then flip the page as mm-hmm. soon as you can because mm-hmm. you want to absorb it all but then you want to you you got to see where it's going next there's a great piece with matt talking with a nun and trying to figure out why he's here um it's you know again it's it's like it's a simple thing, stuff that you feels familiar, but feels also so like sharp yeah. and well told. There's a, a, a fight. There's one like action piece in here. And it's the first step for Matt thinking about getting back into this this life he's now shunned. But then that ending, the last two pages, and I think it's all silent. Yeah. Uh, how it ends, like you read it, and you go, "Oh, this is terrible. It's going to be a nightmare." Yeah. Both from, like, your perspective on the situation, but also, like, I imagine in Matt's head. Yeah. And, but, like, you can't stop. Right. You can't stop going through those motions. And, and like, I don't want I'm not going to give it away, but if you're not reading Daredevil, this is the issue that I think will, like, cement, like, oh, you need to be reading Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally agreed. Okay. Next up, we have Dead Man Logan number 10, which is written by Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, I, I've just absolutely adored this series since issue one, you know, going from, you know, the kind of current 616. And now we're deep into the wastelands uh, and that reality, everything that's going on there, um, of course, where uh, Old Man Logan emerged from originally. So there's some great stuff there that has these wonderful, you know, nods to the story that we were introduced to this character with and everything like that. I love the the way this book is colored though. It is just gorgeous because there's 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 a lot of color in it. Um but it's something there's it's kind of anemic. It's kind of um you know sick in a way uh which is really perfect because you know we know that this is the end. There are some super dramatic moments in this issue that were crazy and really awesome, like so cinematic to see not just like um, the events of what happened, but like the pacing of it and then seeing these things, having the big wide shot of what's happening and then cutting to these other characters and the reaction, things like that. Yeah, great stuff about, across the board. I'm like super, super stoked for the penultimate issue and then the, the, the finale. Yeah. Yeah. Hell of a book. Also, hell of a book is my second pick of the week. 
Future Foundation Number One. Uh, it is written by Jeremy Whitley, pencils by Will Robson, inks by Will and Danielle Orlandini, colors by Greg Menzi, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I want to uh, sort of read a couple of bits from the credits page mm-hmm. to give you a setup for the book. If you're not familiar, I think this is really helpful. Uh, so <clears throat> it says, these are the smartest kids in the multiverse. Their classroom is the multiverse. Their curriculum starts with survival and ends with the edge of an eternal tomorrow. Their vision is the future, and the future looks good. They are the future foundation. <laughs> and right now, their number one mission is collecting the pieces of their friend, Owen Reese, a.k.a. Molecule Man, an immensely powerful former supervillain whose atoms have been scattered about the multiverse. That is such a cool concept yeah. for things. And like The Future Foundation existed before. It was created by Jonathan Hickman during his run on Fantastic Four years ago. Similar ideas about like looking forward, putting these kids together. New mission. Uh, some you know the cast is very slightly changed now. Julie Power is part of this crew, but it's getting them off Earth and out into the multiverse. You know, doing all kinds of wild adventures. Uh, this is a super fun opening issue. Um, so they find, you know, a bit of Molecule Man in this space prison. So it's a break-in, break-out prison right. story. Right. There's a really menacing evil dude who shows up by the end, which I will not spoil, but it's a really cool touch. Uh, it, You know, Will Robson has this very cartoony, poppy art, which works really well because there's tons of aliens and exotic location stuff and and big energy happening in here. And I thought it was really, really fun. If you read the Fantastic Four issue that had the sort of pilot yeah. uh, for this, that's the tone, that's the flavor. Uh, it is big fun. I, I really suggest you jump on this with number one. Totally. Uh, okay, we go from F, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. You know what that means, folks. It's House of X, and it's my first pick of... The week. Uh, this is House of X number two, uh, which I went into into this issue um, having read uh, Mr. Chip Zdarsky's tweet, where he it was an expletive laden uh, diatribe against uh, uh, Jonathan Hickman and Pepe Larraz, saying, "What the hell? Essentially, how or how how do you make House of X number two even better than House of X number one, which was itself incredible." It's been so fun in general, just a a general note, to see people's reactions online to House of X number one and Powers of Ten number one because it's it's been billed as such a huge thing. And to see people really react and say like, oh, this wasn't a feint. Like this is really huge. Donny Cates tweeted out something. It was just a question to, to people like what in recent years has been like a landmark moment in comics to you what like just in anything in any comic uh any publisher what has stood out is like wow this changes things and it it was really really interesting to scroll through those replies and see what people said because you know one of the ones you know there were several moments that people pointed out from house of x number one um totally rightfully so and i completely agree with them but it was really interesting one of my favorite ones that i that i loved seeing on there because it was just a conversation from House of X number one that I saw a couple of people mention was the conversation between Scott and Reed um, in the park in issue number one, where essentially Scott comes for Sabretooth and there's just this instant kind of clash there. And you just 
in that moment, it's kind of solidified in this new way that things are different now. Before you keep going, there yeah. was uh, – you had a couple pages open to a sequence of – Trying to talk about this in the best way possible. Yeah, this is going to be really hard for a really long time in all of these X-Books. All of them. (laughs) But there's a scene in here with Destiny and Mystique and the Brotherhood um, that was so good. I reread it like twice (laughs) and I was so like gripped by it. One thing before we move on, there's a a thing that at the end – of each issue of House of X and mm-hmm. Powers of Ten with the reading order. Yeah. And it tells you, really, it's just like they come out every other week, and yeah. what, every week, one after the other, House, then Powers, House, then Powers. Um, but the, it says in there two series that are one. Mm-hmm. And last week we were talking about how House of X, to me, the first issue felt like um, uh, this giant superhero epic by Jonathan Hickman. And Powers of Ten felt like a giant Jonathan Hickman book that is a superhero title. Yeah, This, to me, felt like now two series that are one. Mm-hmm. As you really start to see it start to come together, you're telling this one big story. And, man, I am so glad it comes out weekly because yeah. I am super invested. Yeah. Uh, speaking about books that work perfectly, up next is Immortal Hulk. Number 22, written by Al Ewing, pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose with Bellardino Bravo, and colors by Paul Mounts, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And it's my second pick of the week. Um, This felt like a a really interesting, like one of those climactic moments where we talk about like, you know, stories – like kind of undulate and they go it's like a roller coaster you have these big pressure moments these big kind of climaxes these peaks this this felt like a peak issue to me because a bunch of characters that we've spent some time getting to know i mean we've spent entire issues getting to know certain characters um alone we're like you know i think it was the previous issue to this 21 where the hulk was on like one or two pages of the entire issue and it just it, you know of course it works beautifully um this issue was really interesting and it felt like a threshold kind of climactic issue because i feel like it was a moment where over recent issues we've gotten to know individual characters um, in very cohesive ways that that like work and tie beautifully into the bigger story obviously but this one felt like the issue where all those characters are in one room at the same time and we're dealing with all of them at the same time they're interacting with each other at the same time and there's so much going on as a result of that and I love that you know it, it, it really speaks to you know Al's you know vision and the power of his storytelling the ability to balance those things where you we can go off in a little you know a little tangent we get to know a certain character but at the same time you're never losing sense of the main story you're never losing sense of that momentum that's carrying us forward and man there is momentum that comes crashing in uh with this this issue i just i cannot say enough it's that thing that you know this this series is maybe it's obvious but it's completely changing my perspective of the kind of writer I think of Al Ewing as. And that's not to say anything like before Immortal Hulk really got humming. If you asked me, uh, like, what do you think of as of Al Ewing as a writer? I'd just be like huge ideas, huge story, like incredible, incredible, like minutia knowledge of the Marvel universe, but like huge ideas, very complex storytelling, things like that. That's what I would say. This 
series is definitely that, but it's also completely transformative. It's introducing like and breaking new ground for this, you know, decades old character that, you know, we thought we knew and we're just getting to know in, in, you know, brilliant, fascinating new ways each individual issue. But more than that, there's like such classic comic book big page reveals this just kind of like rock and roll spirit to it where something happens you just get a chill up your spine as you're reading it uh, again it's happened four or five times now in these 22 issues where just at the end of it i'm just like throw the book down i'm like are you kidding me it's yep. so awesome yep and friggin uh joe bennett's oh, come on like ridiculous oof, wild okay moving on now to invisible woman number two uh, this was a great series that we got to get to know and be introduced to. I was really excited for, for a long time. It is written by Mark Wade with art by Matea de Ulis and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It's really fun to see this creative team working together because it's that thing of what I was just mentioning of like, I was really excited for this for a long time. Not just because it's the Invisible Woman's first solo comic, but because it's a really awesome marriage. In creatively, Mark Wade, who is like a stalwart, legendary comic book writer, with Matteo Deulis, who has emerged in recent years um, as uh, you know, with this really fresh look, this you know, a look that really is unmistakable, kind of looks unlike anything else um, uh, across you know the line of comics, just like wildly fine lines um and like um, kind of photorealism really really awesome stuff kind of um makes me think of like jesus saiz if i'm thinking of that correctly a little bit there yeah. a little jimmy mckelvey yeah um i i was looking at this and i thought like looks like uh, a painted animated movie yeah you know, yes in a lot of ways yeah yeah I, yeah i totally feel that and oh yeah we get a great bastardi Bastardi. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, tavern scene. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that's what you were saying, <laughs> but what is that? who says that line? Uh, Marion says that when she's like, people think that the other dude has like out, out drank her. And oh, then and she stops she's him. like, yeah. And then she stops, she stops him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a, a, I thought of that scene for uh, an incredibly specific reason that you'll uh, find if you see this. But there's great, there's really, really fun kind of spy stuff going on in here. Obviously, we have Natasha involved. Um, uh, but to see these moments where, like, you are right in the middle of the action with the characters and then you get to kind of zoom out and you get to kind of see the tactical perspective of things uh, as you're going through it. You know, number two, I, I think about my time at Wizard Magazine mm-hmm. and the price guide and then sort of the industry looking at comics. And number twos are so pivotal yeah, because, you know, comic shops order a lot of number ones. A lot of people try number ones. They just give it a whirl. Like, yeah. oh, I'll check the, this new series. Not everybody comes back for number two. The The hope is that they do, but number twos are almost always ordered a lot fewer yeah. than number one. And so number two, you have to hit hard mm-hmm. with something to hook the people to keep coming back for number three, but also to cause that buzz and that word of mouth yeah. to get people to talk about, did you read number two? No. What is wrong with you? You got to go to number two. Yeah. You got to get that issue. That It's a fascinating thing. And so, yeah, strong number two is is pivotal, mm-hmm. pivotal. And that, that was a great one. Yeah. 
All right, you talk about number ones, you talk about number twos. How about number zeros? Oh, yeah. Yes, we've got Major X number zero. It is written and penciled by Rob Liefeld with inks by Rob, Adelso Corona, Corey Hampshire, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., and letters by VCs Joe Sabino for the framing story. So what this one is is a new framing story setting up um, who Major X is in the existence uh, before the events of the main storyline, the main series, uh, but also introduces the X Command. Uh, all the the you know you've got Lieutenant X, Commander X, Captain X, General X, and Sergeant X, <laughs> and how like what all that means. They've got the Sword of X, all these things. But then you go and it actually reprints issues 154 and 155 of Wolverine from to the year 2000 that Rob, you know, plotted and he drew and actually sets up a ton of the stuff that he's been playing off of in Major X. The Watchtower, you know, sort of the overarching thoughts. It didn't have Major X, but it has a lot of characters and themes and settings that play into Major X, which I think is really smart of us to reprint that um, because there have been so many fans coming in and, you know, diving into all this. Uh, On top of that, this has an interview with Rob about the book and the characters, some character design work and stuff like that. So um, it is... It's a, it's a really good one if you are into Major X. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, next up we have Old Man Quill number eight, which is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Ibrahim Roberson, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Carmani. And we made a visit to the Wastelands earlier, and we're going back right here. Uh, issue seven was huge in this series. It was a really pivotal issue. Um, you know, and this is a, a 10 issue limited series. So if you look at that in terms of like, maybe if you put it in, in terms of like movie structure or something like that, what we got there was like the second act break, like the thing where it all comes crumbling down and the hero has everything going against them. Uh, and what that was, uh, spoilers for old man Quill number seven is, uh, essentially his entire journey alongside the rest of the guardians was a vision. Um, it was kind of wrought by his like intense grief and uh, regret. He's been through so much um, between you know w- what we think of him now in terms of like you know current continuity uh, and where this st- story takes place uh, that he kind of had this you know he just literally uh, you know they were kind of just figments of uh, imagination. And that all came crumbling down around him, and he was just left completely bereft, completely alone to deal with uh, everything that's in front of him. Uh, So that was where we left off, and now coming into this, we immediately jump in with uh, some Guardians action. It's really interesting to see now how that ties in and how it all makes sense, what happened, uh, you know, a lot of the questions that we leave uh, Seven with are... Uh, answered in maybe the first half of this book. Obviously, there are some big questions still spinning out of it and new ones at that. But uh, there's so much uh, uh, that was really interesting to see coming off of that seven, going into this one uh, and getting to know this story and, and the the concepts that you know Ethan and, and company have had, obviously, in mind since uh, the pitch of this story. Also, we get some great Silver Surfer stuff going on in here, which is really, really awesome. Uh, I love that kind of cosmic crossover in a sense action where you know essentially they're uh the guardians happen upon the surfer 
Then Gamora ends up having a conversation with him. Uh, really, really intriguing, exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, up next, Punisher number 14, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Simon Kudransky, colors by Antonio Fabella, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, how is this book consistently this good? Like, I know. Every issue is really tremendous, very funny, quirky, yet nightmarishly violent yeah. and intense. Yeah. It is a spectacular run on Punisher. It's crazy how perfectly Matt's voice ends up working for this character in this series because it's not something that you would intuit like if you asked me it's that Al Ewing conversation that I, I brought up a little bit ago was just like what kind of story Matt is perfectly suited to tell and you would imagine maybe a team's book a book where there's a lot of banter back and forth really brilliant fantastic fun dialogue you know Frank is not that way Frank is like as sullen and down and like solo you know writer as it comes but that's kind of just adds fuel in a different way to that kind of uh his to Matt's strengths there's a conversation I'm thinking specifically between two characters mm. in here that I saw one or two people tweet out maybe it was Matt or someone between can I say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. people yeah Matt it's it people know at this point that Moon Knight is 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 getting involved here but there's a quick little back and forth between yeah. Moon Knight and Punisher, which is so funny and like so perfect. Yeah. It's great. And Night Thrasher. Yes. Night Thrasher shows up. It's it's great. So, you know, the idea is that uh, Frank is trying to hunt down and destroy uh, Baron Zemo and the ra- last remaining forces of Hydra who have sort of are also hunting Punisher. They are in New York City. They're, they've got some help from the Kingpin. So it's they're chasing each other, chasing each other. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So Black Widow rolls up to Frank in this issue to offer some help. And she's like, yo, here's here's what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he's just like, I'm a loner, macho <laughs> jerk. I don't need any of this. Yeah. I do it my own. Uh, and she's like, you're dumb. No, you're going to take some help. And she brings in these surprise guests, which Moon Knight and uh, Night Thrasher, and there's one more, which I won't spoil. They're super fun. What I found funny and relevant was like there's they, – they just connect to who Punisher is and some of the stories. Like I see the Night Thrasher and Moon Knight connection and I think back to an amazing Spider-Man story that I loved as a kid called um, Round Robin, The Sidekick's Revenge, which had – uh, Punisher, I believe, with Night Thrasher and Moon Knight and Spider-Man. Uh, like, I remember reading that when I was a kid, like these street-level characters coming together. And again, they're coming together. Like, yeah. that's sort of the, the the people that they hang out with and, yeah. and deal with. Uh, so seeing that all here is really fun. Um, by the end, though, he's running with this crew, and it's, it's a ton of fun. Uh, highly suggest you pick this book up. It's got great little bits and pieces in there and dialogue and just, again, quirky. Yet, like, oh, my God, why, yeah. how did that even happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you are around the New York City area on August 12th, Matt and I will be doing uh, a fun thing. We're going to be at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers uh, at the screening for the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. Nice. They're showing because it's its 30th anniversary. So uh, they asked me if I wanted to come, give away some comics. I said, of course, you want me to bring the writer of Punisher who lives – Five minutes, you know, for me, and I can we can drive up together. Uh, Matt was like, "Sure, that'd be great." Awesome. Uh, so if you're around, come uh, come hang out. Tell us, say hi. 
That's great. Uh, okay, we have Punisher in the Punisher, and we also have Punisher in Savage Avengers number four, which is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Mike Diodato Jr., colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Some stellar stuff has been happening, I feel like, in 2019 with the Punisher from Matt, obviously, first and foremost, but then Jerry here, uh, not just in Savage Avengers, but he also wrote some Punisher with War of the Realms, which was so fantastic. Um, he's just another one of those writers that um, is so mercurial. He could just do anything and, uh, you know, fitting in perfectly with the Punisher works so well. There's no other way I can describe Savage Avengers other than, like, one, it's got a perfect title. Two, if this is, like, the most super, like, jacked up heavy metal turned comic book like i've ever read it is so like relentless the entire story with like gorgeous art great story going all the way through but like it really is led by that thing of just um you know you can just feel jerry just like he's got you in the palm of his hand and he is just pulling like all the strings and just playing it uh in a way that just you know, that's not to say that like the, you know, the characters are always on top. They're always winning. It's, you know, it's not that at all. It's just done in a way that like when a, uh, just a heroic moment happens or when you get uh, a great voodoo moment or when you get a great Conan moment, you just want to like, you know, like raise your mm-hmm. hands to this guy and just like, like, you know, um, you know, like, I don't know, go just bleeping crazy. It's so <laughs> awesome. There's so much going on in here. It's like really kind of shockingly um, emotional moments happening here, which are are really awesome. It's a kind of crazy balance between some quiet moments that like find a little moment of respite from like the literally cannot get bigger, crazier, uh, more like wild metal action going on. And then to see how the team works together um, and has, you know, it's starting to open themselves up in new ways to each other and, and work together in new ways as the story goes on. Such a cool ending as well. Like such a moment where you're just like, you know, my eyes are like bleeding. And I'm so happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so cool. There's a, a part where they have to convince Punisher to keep like to get back up and yes. fight. Yeah. Uh, and he's been, emotional and i uh, it's such a great moment where he doesn't say anything he just takes the sunglasses off of voodoo's head and puts them on and then just like is basically like okay now i'm ready yeah and i like in my head he then pulls out his ipod puts it in (laughs) turns on boys don't cry by the cure and then he's ready to fight yeah 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 oh man so good all right up next is sensational spider-man self-improvement number one this one is really, really neat. So it's got two stories in here. The first one is called Burn Job, and it's a script by Peter David based on a plot by Randy Schuler, with pencils by Rick Leonardi, inks by Victor Olazaba, and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. But you're like, oh, who's Randy Schuler? Is he like a creator from Days Gone By or whatever? No, he was a fan. And he pitched a story so crazy. about Spider-Man getting a new darker costume And this is in the early 80s. This is before Secret Wars. Um, He, however, how he pitched this, I'm not fully sure. (laughs) Uh, But he was then hired by the editors at the time, Tom DeFalco and crew, to develop that idea further. And unfortunately, they they went back and forth on it, but never worked out. Uh, Eventually, like the the Secret Wars idea came up separately, and they they went with that idea for this new costume. Um, So this comic the first story in here is actually an adaptation 
of Randy's story. Uh, and it in the after you get to the issue, which is really cool, it's got the Fantastic Four in it. It um, it builds in a lot of like character bits and um, cool ideas for this costume and what it meant and how it was brought brought about. But after you get through this story, you get Randy's pitch and the notes from Tom DeFalco, who was the editor at the time, and you see how important an editor is to a story because Tom, his simple things are like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. How do you explain this? What is, why, you know, like this happens, but you never set this like thing up. And, you know, I think a lot of people who envision these stories, we we all do. We have stories in our head of like this happened, this, you know, I would Mm -hmm. love to tell this story. Yeah. You need like an editor to be like, well, the nuts and bolts. yeah, Yeah. Like it, you've got cool stuff here, but you are missing very important pieces. And then like, the the marvelness of it and some of those things. So seeing all that come together, it's a really fascinating exploration into the creation process. Uh, so really, really great. Um, big note here: please do not try yeah. and pitch yeah. us or anyone at Marvel your story ideas. Uh, this is a fluke, and this is really only done because we're celebrating our 80th anniversary, and this is a fun thing. Um, but I've had many people over the years try to tell me their ideas for stories and I basically have to either ignore them, right. delete like any, uh, like just not look at whatever conversation is happening right. or simply crush their hopes and dreams. <laughs> right. We can't, we legally cannot read your unsolicited ideas and submissions. Randy had this idea. He was then solicited by the editorial team to expand upon it. So just putting that out there. This is not it. a yeah. thing that happens. You got to say it. It's a fluke. <laughs> yeah. The second story in this one is really freaking good, though. Spider-Man helping a kid who's in a very similar situation to his. Uncle dying, feeling this personal guilt, trying to write it. Uh, but Peter has power. The kid does not. Um, and the story is called With No Power. Mm-hmm. And it was script, plot, and pencils by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends with inks by the mighty Sal Buscema, colors by Chris Sotomayor. It is so – it is – like when you get classic long-time Marvel creators, especially long-time Spider-Man creators, Ron Friends, tons of work on Spider-Man and Spider-Girl, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief, for you know, editor, writer of Spider-Girl and Spider-Man and like all this stuff, uh, writer of Fantastic Four, Sal Buscema, we read – you know, we talked about him not too long ago as like 100-plus issues on Spider-Man. They just go. And it is like, oh, yeah, these guys are the real deal. It is such a perfectly quintessential Spider-Man story. I I loved it. Yeah, you could – it jumps off the page in that way. It's so funny. Like, I think if you didn't look at the credits page and then you read the story, you'd be like, what's going on? Like, this is like a – the hues of this Spider-Man story are like so vibrant and it just feels so signature spidey it's awesome yeah uh okay last book this week is star wars number 70 uh which is written by greg pock with art by phil noto letters by vcs clayton cowles um you know a huge thing that i've been thinking of over these last three issues of greg and phil's run on star wars the main series is you know, with any Star Wars comic, with any Star Wars TV show or novel or anything like that, uh, it's unavoidable for me to to read it or watch it or anything and think, like, could I imagine this, uh, you know, 
fitting in perfectly in, you know, 1978, 79, 80. Like, could I imagine this done by, uh, you know, those people like in that era? Does it fit into like what the definition and established kind of early definition of what Star Wars is, is sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, and that can be what's fun about it. Sometimes no, where it's like some weird, wild, awesome, like expanded universe stuff where we've talked a ton about. There's great stuff to be mined there. But these three issues are like shockingly authentic feeling. They feel so perfectly Star Wars uh, in such a wonderful way. Um not just in terms of how Greg uh, has a beautiful command of these characters' voices, like literally I can hear these actors saying these these lines, but in terms of how the visuals are presented, to, in terms of how like just the blue sky of Tatooine is, is rendered by Phil Noto, it just works. It works perfectly. You know, I think the simplicity of a lot of these things is what is actually the key because, you know, a lot of the times we can dig into like Jackson level stuff where it's like a six foot five inch, like walking, talking green rabbit. And, you know, that's awesome and so much fun. But, you know, it's it's like very hard to imagine that done in 1977, 1980, you know, just like practical effects and all those kind of things. And that can be great about like these alien worlds and things like that is having fun with these new ideas and things like that. But what's so great about this series, not just in terms of what Luke is doing, but in terms of what Han and Leia are doing with Chewie and 3PO, you know, as we kind of have these three uh, storylines going on at the same time, there's a lot of simplicity to it. And there's a lot of simplicity in design. And, and I think that's the key to a lot of great Star Wars visuals. It's just like how, you know, strip away all the unnecessary elements and just make it, you know, totally real to this world, totally kind of a period piece in that way. And and there's, you know, completely, complete command of all of that by this creative team. I love it so much. Uh, okay, that's what we have for individual issues this week. Big, huge, huge week. Uh, so much fun and epic stuff going on. Uh, but in collections this week, we have... Uh, Champions by Jim Zub, Volume 1, Beat the Devil, Kirby Returns, Marvel Art of Conan the Barbarian, uh, Marvel Comics 1, 80th Anniversary Edition, uh, Old Man Quill, Volume 1, Nobody's Fault But Mine, Star Wars Epic Collection, The Original Marvel Years, Volume 4, Star Wars Age of Rebellion Heroes, and War of the Realms Giant Man. Yes. Uh, On Marvel Unlimited, um... If you have not caught up on Age of X-Men, the alpha issue is now in Marvel Unlimited. So uh, from now on, in the next couple of weeks, uh, you're going to be getting new issues of Age of X-Men across all those books. So you can dive into that. The Daughters of the Dragon digital original, uh, issue three of that, which you know we've been talking about, Jen McKay and Travel Foreman together. So friggin' good. Yeah. I love it, love it, love it. Last issue of Exiles from the most recent run. And uh, I was really excited to see... 20 issues of the 1970s Marvel team-up series, which is so good. Yeah. Uh, and I was always bummed that we didn't have all those in Marvel Unlimited. There's a lot of, like, Claremont and Byrne stuff in there. It's mm. Spider-Man teaming up with different characters every issue. It's really tremendous. Uh, I'm happy we're adding more of that. So uh, that's just a sampling. We're going to have a list of everything on Marvel Unlimited and all the uh, other places we have stuff out this week. You can get that on Marvel.com. And then we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.